You're listening to Language Nerds to Earth, a podcast about linguistics, culture, travel, and how they're all connected. Now it's time to meet your language nerd hosts. One in China, one in Spain. It's Patrice and Rachel. Hello, hello, everyone. I'm Patrice, and I'm Rachel, and welcome to Language Nerds to Earth. Yay. Yay! I hope you guys had a happy holidays. If you had holidays, mm-hmm. or we hope you're also about to have a great holiday. Yes, like <laughs> Patrice. <laughs> yeah, in in Asia, we've got some holidays coming up. Yeah, happy holidays all around. Yeah. So today is episode number thirty-four. Yeah, and what's our topic for today? Today we're going to talk about endangered languages. Yay! Yeah, not yay for endangered languages, but yay for、right. talking about them. Right, sad for endangered languages. Yay for talking about them. We've talked about them a lot on this show before, but we haven't ever dedicated an entire episode to them. Yeah,、uh, we're gonna start off by having a look at the numbers. So, how many languages are endangered, and what does that look like? Then we will zoom in on a few and listen, see if we can hear some of them. And then we're going to talk about efforts to preserve endangered languages and why that's important. And then we have a great lost in translation story from you, right? Yeah, that's right.、Okay. From me. <laughs> I'm excited to hear it too. Yes, and big thanks to those of you who are listening to the show and have started liking us on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, first today we have some language news. It is about British versus American humor. Yeah, and the sarcasm that is often lost in translation. More on the British side, but we'll get into that a little bit. Right. So there was a study, a survey done, that tried to distinguish like what the true meaning of a phrase was interpreted as by both Americans and Brits,、mm-hmm. and Half the Americans could not recognize like the sarcastic meaning behind. For example, with the greatest respect, half of Americans thought that it meant "I am listening to you."、Mm-hmm. Which actually, British people took it to mean "I think you're an idiot." Yeah. <laughs> And so the big three phrases that they used in the YouGov survey was "with the greatest respect." I'll bear it in mind, and you must come for dinner. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'll bear it in mind. Americans took that to mean, okay, yeah, I'll keep that in mind. Yeah, I'll remember that.、Mm-hmm. When it was actually <clears throat> translated by British people as, I've already forgotten about it. <laughs> right. And the other one was, you must come for dinner, which Britons、uh, interpret that as something that. Is just being polite. Oh, it's not an invitation. I'm just being polite. But Americans translate it to mean, interpret it to mean, I'll send you an invitation soon. Mm-hmm. Which I would, I would think that, like, if somebody said, "You must come for dinner," I would be like, "I would love to come for dinner. Thank you." <laughs> <laughs> Good. Actually, though, a slightly higher percentage of Americans thought that it was just being polite than. It was an invitation, but still, forty-one、oh, percent、okay. thought that it was 
that you were going to get an invitation. Mm-hmm. Right. And 45 thought that it was just being polite. Okay. So not that everyone thinks that, but yeah, a lot of people would expect an invitation from that. Right. So uh, 57% of Brits thought it would it was just being polite, whereas 34% of them interpreted it as a genuine invitation. Right. So I guess by that you can see that it's just like a more sarcastic attitude overall, but that doesn't mean that every single person thinks in the exact same way. Exactly. So we have a few more phrases uh, that are really funny. <laughs> one of them is i hear what you say the british interpret that to mean i disagree and i do not want to discuss this further whereas americans would think it means he accepts my point of view (laughs) one that i really liked is that is a very brave proposal yeah (laughs) what the british mean uh, is you are insane (laughs) and what others might think is he thinks I have courage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those are two very different interpretations. Yeah, I think I would interpret it more as like you are insane or kind of nuts. Right. Brave is a little different. Uh, if I heard the term bold, like, oh, that's bold, then I would think of it more as like, oh, that's totally insane. <laughs> um, another one that was funny, which I wouldn't have gotten on the British side, is, oh, incidentally, by the way, which the British tend to interpret as the primary purpose of our discussion is, (laughs) and Americans would think it means, it's not very important, but by the way, blah, 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 blah. Right. And I think the way that we use it a lot is in that way. Like, if you say something about a person, you're like, oh, that's my friend, Ashley. Oh, and by the way, she's the one that I was saying was whatever right right something that we discussed before so just by the way that's her yeah but the main point is something else right but maybe it would be used more in a british conversation as like okay by the way now we're getting down to business Mm-hmm. now we're actually discussing what's important yeah but in a really subtle way like yeah Super subtle. Like, let's beat around the bush, and then I'll make it as, like, a side point, but really that's the whole purpose of (laughs) the conversation. (laughs) Oh, by the way, did you happen to think about that pay raise I asked you for? Right, right, yeah. Yeah, true. Hmm. One that I really liked was quite good. (laughs) The expression quite good. Uh... So what others think is it means quite good. But what the British mean is a bit disappointing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there are a lot of those, it seems. (laughs) Like, totally the opposite. Uh, You must come for dinner. It's not an invitation. (laughs) Must. You use the word must. This one also. I only have a few minor comments. Others would think it means, oh, he's found a few typos. But the British would mean, please rewrite completely. (laughs) (laughs) Good. This one, I'm sure it's my fault, means it's your fault. Yeah. Actually, this reminds me, there's some, I think it's a YouTube series. Yeah, I think it was on the BBC. Uh It's like 
I forgot the name of it, but I'll ask my friend and I'll try to post it in the show notes. But there is some series about like what the British are thinking. I think that's what it was called. Okay. And it's like talking about how Brits can be really, really, really overthinkers about social situations. Mm. For example, do I hold the door? How long is it acceptable to hold the door while I while this person walks up to the door? Like, and I think everybody thinks that, but it basically talks about how because etiquette and manners are so deeply ingrained in British culture, it's like yeah. way worse for them. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Another example was like meeting somebody for the first time. Do we go in for a kiss? Do we do we shake? I really, really don't want to go in for a kiss, but I will. Like, it was just a lot of really awkward things that people think about in these situations. (laughs) Yeah, you should try and find a link to that. Yeah, I will. I'll uh, post it in the show notes for episode 34. Cool. Yeah, and we will also definitely put this list of sarcastic comments that are often misinterpreted in our show notes. Mm-hmm. There is one caveat in there that BBC America came up with for the way that that can be misinterpreted. So this article is written in one direction, but it can also go in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. So for example, this is something that is said in Rachel in My Neck of the Woods. Bless her heart. <laughs> yep. When you hear that, it's not really like a nice thing that somebody's saying, oh, like, bless her heart. No, it's like, oh, bless her heart, <laughs> which it explains here. It's like a put down, which allows the speaker to slag off somebody without recrimination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like if you think somebody's really dumb, mm-hmm. you might say, oh, bless her heart. She's just never going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... It'd be interesting if you're American, especially, and if you can think of any phrases that we might use that sound like they mean one thing, but when they really mean the opposite, it would be great to get your submissions and we'll read them on the next show. Yeah, because I think Americans definitely do have their sarcasm. Yeah. Maybe not as much as Brits. Yeah. And it might also be more geographic, like parts of the U.S., but true, it exists in the U.S., but we're not as famous for it as the British are. Right. Have you noticed when British people, like sometimes when I'm around my British friends and they're having a really good time, they'll just start like hurling insults at each other, like really mean insults. Yeah. <laughs> and But this is the way that sometimes they show that they're close to somebody as they insult them. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about endangered languages. Yeah. So first we'll get into the numbers. Mm-hmm. There is actually a system in place, a UNESCO ranking system that shows at what stage a language is or what the danger level is. Yeah. UNESCO ranks languages as five different levels mm-hmm. of being at risk. Once it's starting to get in trouble that it's called vulnerable. So vulnerable language means that most children speak the language, but it may be restricted to certain domains. So that's the first level. The Mm -hmm. second level is definitely endangered, which means children no longer learn the language as a mother tongue in the home. 
Mm-hmm. The third is severely endangered, so the language is spoken by grandparents and older generations. While the parent generation may understand it, they do not speak it to children or among themselves. Fourth is critically endangered, which means that the youngest speakers of the language are grandparents or older, and they speak the language partially and infrequently. Right. And finally, sadly, is extinct. There are no speakers left. Right. So on their list of languages that are between vulnerable and extinct, there are 2,283 languages. 20 of those only have one speaker left. And then an additional 300 on the list are extinct with no more native speakers. And actually, every two weeks, a language enters the extinction phase. So they just move from the critically endangered to the extinct level, which is really sad. That is really sad. And that probably means that there was only one speaker who dies. Exactly. So a few different examples of these different languages, just to kind of give you a feel for what we're talking about. Yiddish is definitely endangered. There are 30 million speakers left. Yiddish is spoken in Israel. It's commonly known as, like, the language that is used among, like, older Jews. That's kind of how Mm -hmm. I think of it. Yeah, which is interesting, though, because 30 million does seem like a lot. Right. But I guess that means that it's just spoken at home because it's definitely endangered. So... Children don't usually learn it as a mother tongue in the home. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, that's, I guess, why you think of it as, like, for older generations. Right. Yeah, totally. Um, also, Quechua of Cusco, it has, like, 11 million speakers. Yeah. And it is considered vulnerable. Right. So it's a little interesting because that one has about 20 million fewer speakers, but it's only considered vulnerable. So children speak the language, but, you know, it's not the main language of the country. Exactly. But I do think that this list might be, because there are so many languages on the list, um, Mm -hmm. I think that it's not necessarily up to date. In fact, one of the languages that we'll talk about today only has two native speakers left, and according to the list, there are eight speakers left. So I think that it's not necessarily... Up to date on every language on this list. Right. But Quechua of Cusco is the one that Rachel just mentioned. There are actually a few different versions of Quechua on the list that are at varying degrees of endangeredness. Yeah. Another one that is vulnerable is something that we've mentioned in the past, which is Basque. Yeah. Basque is the language in northern Spain that is kind of a language isolate. It's one of the five official languages of Spain. And yeah, it's vulnerable. So that means most children speak the language, but it's just restricted to certain domains. Mm -hmm. I think the Basque people are very invested in the language, though. Yes. And try to make sure that their kids learn it. Right, which is probably the reason that it has less than a million speakers, but is only considered vulnerable. Yeah, I think you're right. Southern Italian, which has 75 million speakers, is considered vulnerable also. Yeah, there are a lot of different versions of Italian, and we'll get into that as well soon. Mm -hmm. Also vulnerable is the Scots language. I know Scotland has their own language, which is Gaelic, 
But the Scots language, which in some cases is considered to be its own language, and some, some people consider it just a historical dialect of English, but it's vulnerable with 1.5 million speakers left. Mm-hmm. And Romanche, which we have also talked about on the show before, has 35,000 speakers and is definitely endangered. Right. So this is also one that's maybe spoken... Like, maybe not learned as much by children anymore, and the population might be aging. Exactly. And if you don't remember Romanche, it's one of the official languages of Switzerland, but it's their one language that they have that's unique to Switzerland. Right. The other official languages are French, Italian, and German. Mm-hmm. And it's related to Latin as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's spoken by, like, less than 4% or something. That's right, yeah. It's spoken by less than 4% of the population. And it's a really weird language because it actually has a lot of different versions. And they tried, they made, like, a united artificial version that people don't want to learn. Right. (sighs) Yeah, with 35,000 speakers and there are multiple dialects. Yeah. Yeah, it's super interesting. So this is just a really fun list to go down and see for yourself. Because there's investment in these languages, in a lot of these languages that are becoming endangered yeah. at varying levels. So just one fun thing to do is to go down and look up one of the languages and see if you can hear somebody speaking it on YouTube or something. Yeah, which... Let's dive right in then to the second part and look at a couple a little bit more closely. And we're going to also hear some clips of what they sound like. Exactly. So first, we're going to look at Sicilian. Sicilian is actually one of the languages of Italy. I didn't know this, but standard Italian is not actually a language spoken as a native tongue in Italy. Rather, there are a lot of different accents and languages. There are 34 different accents and languages recognized across the country or i think 34 different languages yeah it's like when i studied italian it was always kind of fuzzy whether they were languages or dialects or accents right because they have enough differences but they're also more usually understandable right Mm -hmm. to each other but there are differences for sure Right. And one thing that, you know, Dante's work, the Divine Comedy, was known for doing was choosing the standard Italian, which is the Florentine accent or the Florentine dialect. And so that did kind of evolve as the main language of Italy, but still these other languages or these other dialects or whatever they are. Yeah, they still <laughs> exist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think in some cases they can definitely be classified as their own language, like the ones that are closer to Greek um, in right. southern Italy, and then also in northern Italy they speak something way closer to German. Yes, those are definitely different languages. Right, right. But some of them, like, <clears throat> I was listening to a clip of a bunch of different languages all over Italy, and some of them, I couldn't really tell the difference. Like, I, I don't understand them very well anyway, but my Spanish gives me, like, some understanding. And I couldn't really, among the different languages that I heard. Yeah. So let's give a little listen to the Sicilian language. Oh, I thought maybe you could help with this one, Rachel, because it shows how to count from 1 to 10. 
in Italian, uh-huh. and maybe you can tell yeah. us a little bit about the difference after we listen. Yeah, sure. Uno, due, tre, quattro, cinque, sei, sette, otto, nove, dieci. Yeah, so it's, you know, if you had taken Italian or Spanish or any other Romance language, you could probably recognize the numbers. But, I mean, it's very close to Italian. Mm -hmm. But it is different. So they use a lot more of the U Mm -hmm. instead of an O. Uh, So a lot of the O sounds become U. And a lot of the A, like the, the E sound... The E vowel, mm-hmm. but like the A sound, yeah, uh, becomes like an I E. Ah. If that makes any sense, yeah. Like E, so sette instead of sette. Ah, okay. Novi instead of nove. Right, right. Um, dui instead of due. Okay. And tri instead of tre, and the the O to U that I was talking about, quattro, in Sicilian instead of quattro. Mm-hmm. Otu instead of ote, oto. Right. True. So there are different sounds, but the root is very similar. Right. They're mutually intelligible, for sure. Right. But that's pretty interesting. So, but that's not to diminish the importance of keeping Sicilian alive. Along with every language comes its own culture and history. And, and I think when you learn a language, especially that your ancestors spoke, it connects you to them. Mm-hmm. This is going to sound super corny, but when I learned a little bit of Italian, it was like, this is the language of my ancestors. It's so cool, you know? Whereas English is a recent development in my family's history. I mean, within the last hundred years. But still, when you think about it, that's how much of your family's history is lost for not having that language. Yeah, definitely. So Sicilian has 50 million speakers, so it's considered a vulnerable language. Right. And this makes sense because, so if you stay in Sicily, it's likely that they're still learning the language and speaking it at home at least. But if you have to do any kind of like either leaving Sicily, going to a different part of Italy, or you have to do a lot of work with other parts of the country, then probably you have to switch to standard Italian. Right. So it's probably relegated more to the home in that case. Right. The standard Italian dialect is a descendant of Tuscan, and it is studied by a lot of TV anchors and hosts and journalists and actors, so it's considered, like, the proper way to speak Italian. Mm -hmm. That's why it's kind of a threat to the native languages across the country. Right. So speaking of being tied to your ancestors... When I was doing research about the Laz language, which is the next one on our list, people felt really strongly about that. Yeah. So Laz has 130,000 speakers, and it is a language of Turkey. It's a minority group. Mm-hmm. Also in Georgia. And they live in the mountains. and but So it is spoken amongst people in that part of the country, but it's unwritten, which yeah. does not help. A lot of languages to survive. Right. They're on the Black Sea. But yeah, like all of the stuff that you find online about the Laz language is people saying, we are not Georgians, we are not Turks, we are Laz people. Mm -hmm. 
So their identity is really, really important to them. Right. And it's a really old culture, like several thousand years. Right. Yeah. Which, of course, you can understand why they would be defensive of wanting to keep it alive. Mm-hmm. Let's listen to a little audio clip of Laz. This is from Wikitongues. I can't understand a word of it, but it's still interesting to listen to. Yeah, definitely. And I think part of it, you know, is just appreciating them, even though you can't understand them. Yeah, I agree. And you had the other video in there, which was really interesting. It was an Al Jazeera report. So there is no funding for education, and it's not allowed in schools, but there is, like, a growing movement to try and protect the language. Yeah. So they were showing, like, a private language school. Right. Where people are learning. And then somebody has also made a dictionary of Laz, so trying to write it. That's good. Yeah. So I guess we'll see. Mm, Exactly. And speaking of minority languages in Turkey, I think this requires another episode, but there is a whistling language there. Yeah. And that's really cool. There are also some in the Canary Islands and Ethiopia, so stay tuned. Maybe we'll do an episode on whistling languages in the future. Yeah. Super cool. Okay, so next a severely endangered language is the Wolayan language. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but there are 1,631 speakers left. This language is spoken in Micronesia. Well, actually, as of 1987, there were 1,630 speakers left, but in 2000, they did a different census, and there were 5,000 speakers. So... Mm-hmm. It's becoming more prevalent to speak the language, which is why I'm not sure how up-to-date the UNESCO list is. Right. Like, if it's still severely endangered. Right. So it's definitely been revitalized, because about 4,500 of those spoke the language as their first language, meaning that they were teaching it to children. And so that's actually, I think that's the best way, like, yeah, to keep the language is to teach it as the first language to children. I agree. I think um, there was a growing movement in maybe like around 2000 to get everybody speaking the big languages of the world. Yeah. And there was just a really hard press away from local stuff. But now globalization is becoming more and more important. So thinking on a global scale, but also on a local level, like what can you do on a local level? And so people are becoming more aware of the importance of preserving their own customs, which is wonderful. Yeah. So we do have a clip of a song in Wuliayan. It's pretty. Yeah. And we'll put that up on our website as well, on the show notes. Yeah. It's nice to see them in their traditional dress. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So this one's very interesting. So this is critically endangered Ayapaneco language, which is a language in Mexico. It only has two remaining native speakers. And on top of that, they don't really like each other. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was so interesting to me. I know. I mean, so they're the only two left and neither of them really practice. I guess one of them speaks to his son and his daughter-in-law in Ayapaneco, but they can understand but not really respond. Right. So I guess they respond in Spanish. Mm-hmm. But it's fascinating. Like, it survived the Spanish colonization. and right. They've come this far. It's come this far. <laughs> yeah. And according to the UNESCO list, there are eight native speakers of Ayapaneco left. And there are only two on this Guardian article. So we'll post the Guardian article on our show notes. We have a lot of resources this week. But yeah. apparently one of the things that kind of makes them a little bitter toward each other is they have disagreements on some of the rules of the language. So somebody mm. made a dictionary of Ayapaneco and both of their interpretations are in the dictionary because... yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of a source of their disagreement. The other source is that they don't really have that much in common except for that native tongue that they both have. Right. I mean, I don't I don't get along really well with everybody who speaks English, so No, that's for fair. sure. <laughs> Imagine if the only other English speaker left was somebody that you didn't really care for. <laughs> Would you oh. talk to them? I mean, just because you have the same language? Right. Not necessarily. Yeah. There'd probably be a lot of pressure to talk to them. That would probably not help, to be honest. Right. Yeah, for sure. So it's pretty interesting, though, just a side note about Mexico. There are 68 different indigenous languages in Mexico. Yeah. Which can be subdivided further into 600, or sorry, 364 variations. Jeez. So, very interesting. And that's the ones that survived the Spanish conquest. For sure. Yeah. I'm sure there were many more before that. Oh, I'm sure there were too. Oh my god. Uh, so we have some audio of Ayapaneco. Mm-hmm. Which is really beautiful. It is so pretty. Yeah, it really is. It's a legend, I guess, about the wind from their culture. Yeah, it's a really cool video. So we'll put the link and you can check out the whole thing. It's not very long. Yeah. But, oh, there was this point that was really interesting. Ayapaneco has always been a linguistic island surrounded by much stronger indigenous languages. Interesting. So it's not the only indigenous language of the area, but... But it's an island. That is that is really, really cool. I love learning about linguistic isolates. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. Okay, so one more language we have is the Gamo-Ningi language of Nigeria, and it has become extinct. Nigeria has 521 national languages, eight of which are extinct. So 
I tried to find some audio of the Gamoningi, and I think I found it, but this, <laughs> it's really interesting. Uh, it's a missionary group. They put up Bible stories mm. in the native tongues on YouTube. So I found this random video with like 78 views <laughs> from, I think, this religious channel on YouTube that they said that this is the Gamo Ningi language. So let's give it a little listen. <laughs> Yeah, so this was published in 2011, so it could be that since then the last native speakers have died. But there's this interesting article I found. In any case, I think a native tongue enables people to communicate with each other. And so in a study, Nigerian students taught in their mother tongue perform better on standardized tests than the, than the ones taught in English. Yeah. And of course, that makes sense. It's not their second language. So everybody should be able to communicate in the language that they feel comfortable in and their parents feel, feel comfortable in, I think. Yeah. I think actually the parents is a key factor a lot of times because if they can't help them, then the student is very much on their own and they have no yeah. chance of helping if they don't speak the language. Right. And that's not even to get into the subtleties of a language when you're speaking a different language like there are totally different moods and tones that you would associate with it mm -hmm. and if that's not something that you regularly communicate with elders with mm -hmm. of your tribe like people who are wiser than you um then i guess you you really lose something definitely so let's talk then what is being done to preserve some of these languages. Yeah. Well, there are a lot of efforts. So different associations or different organizations often will send people to the location where different languages are spoken, and they will try to record as much as possible, sometimes make a dictionary if possible. So doing yeah. audio and video to gather as much information as possible. And often, a lot of times, trying to learn the traditional knowledge of that group of people because that's something that maybe can't be translated into another language or might be lost if the language is lost. Yeah. Actually, you know, the Brothers Grimm, mm -hmm. they traveled around Germany at a time when they felt like not only languages, but the old culture in these different parts of Germany was being lost. And that's basically what they did by gathering these stories from all over what was not a unified country at the time. Right. They, it was kind of like the old school endangered language project. Huh. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So I really liked this quote from the endangered languages project. It said, language loss is usually associated with oppression and injustice. For these communities, preservation of their languages about the restoration of cultural identities, their values, and their heritage. I love that, too. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. Like, that's the key point about why it matters, too. Like, that's just it in a nutshell. Yeah. So you might think, like, okay... There are two speakers, like, why does it matter? Like, they can just learn Spanish or whatever. But 
it's yeah. more than that. It's a, you know, human rights issue, a human... Mm-hmm. And it's also losing some knowledge that there once was in the world. And without that, maybe we've lost something really important. Exactly. You never know if it's gone. Right. And I actually watched a video that was, it was with a linguist and it was a TEDx video. But she talked about by, there are currently like 7,000 languages. And by the end of the century, they're estimated to be about half of those. Yeah. It's really sad. Yeah, and imagine all of that knowledge that's kept in those languages and that is, has been gathered for hundreds or thousands of years has is just mm-hmm. disappearing. Exactly. That style of communication. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all know when you learn a language, you, you learn its culture. And part of that culture is stories, mm-hmm. legends, lessons, and also fables. Yeah, values. Yeah perspective on the world. Right. I think a lot of cultures have something that the big cultures kind of miss sometimes, which is, you know, the connection to the earth. Yeah. And connections that otherwise we wouldn't think of. It's really hard to explain if you don't speak a different language, if you only speak one language, which is why it's so important, I think, to learn another one. Yeah. The Endangered Languages Project is a space for people who speak endangered languages and people who are passionate about their preservation who can help out. So if you or somebody you know speaks a language that is endangered, you can upload audio, video, or documents to the website for free, obviously, to share your knowledge and experience about that culture. So they have this huge database of languages that are either extinct or endangered that people have have uploaded to the web. And that's so cool. I mean, the power of modern technology is for good and for bad, because, I mean, part of the reason that a lot of these languages have become so endangered is because the big languages are favored to facilitate easy communication, globalization. Mm-hmm. Right. But at the same time, it's very powerful. Yeah, it is. So cool. I loved learning about several of these languages. Me too. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed it as well. If you have more that you know about or you want us to talk about, just let us know. Yeah. Well, I think that kind of sums up endangered languages. Yeah. Which means... It's time for... Lost Lost in Translation. (laughs) I don't know why I get such a kick out of that every time. I know. (laughs) I think it just really hits my funny bone. So... Seth and I are going to Thailand, right? Right. And um, we need somebody to watch our cats for two weeks. And it's really hard to find somebody because everybody's out of town during Lunar New Year. We live in an artificial city where everybody comes from out of town. And the Lunar New Year is the biggest holiday of the year. So everybody's going to go home right. and spend it with their family. Or if you're from outside of China, you're going to go on vacation. So I'm asking everybody if they know who can watch our cats. And my Chinese is coming along. I can have like a brief conversation with people. <laughs> I often can't understand the answer, <laughs> but I'm understanding more and more answers as time goes on. So anyway, I'm talking to one of our security guards. I'm like, are you going to be home for the Lunar New Year? Can your son watch my cats? 
And she's like, no, no, I won't be home. And I'm like, okay, well, who's going to watch your dog? And she said, well, I'm going to ask this one woman who comes to watch my dog when I'm not here. And I was like, oh, can your, can that friend watch my cats? And she goes, I'll ask. So ask is when. And a lot of times they'll repeat it. They'll be like, well, when, when I ask, ask. I don't know why they repeat. They do that with a lot of words in China. Okay. So like a week later, I come back to her and I'm like, hey, have you asked your friend yet? And we're talking about it. And I was like, ni wen. And <laughs> she's like, no, I haven't asked yet. Like I'm in the process of asking. And but she like laughs at me when I'm asking. Like I'm like, did you ask one? Like I'm making it a question, even though I know that like intonation has nothing to do with questions in Chinese. <laughs> okay. But she's like laughing at me as I as I'm telling her. She's like, well, one, well, one, one. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that's fine. And then a few days later, my Chinese teacher comes over for our lesson, and we're talking about the word ask one. And she's like, there are four different tones, obviously. So ask is one. And there's also one, which is warm, and one, which is kiss, and one, which is smell. <laughs> and then I realized that my security guard was probably laughing at me because she, th- because I was like, "Did you smell your friend yet?" <laughs> Oh my god, that's good. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one, right? That's so funny. <laughs> it's classic. I think it's going to be like a problem for me in Chinese for a long time. Always asking questions. <laughs> yeah, asking questions and messing up tones. Yeah. Because I I have a pretty good ear for the tones, but still, it's not always easy to keep them in mind, to be honest. <laughs> right. So yeah, that was my Lost in Translation moment. Well, that's a good one. <laughs> Did you find somebody to watch your cats? Yes, eventually I did. It's going to be a woman who is Filipina, and she's going to stay in town because she works for some foreigners in the area, I think. Thank goodness. Cats are going to stay with her. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. So we're going to Thailand at the end of the month, so we'll be be taking a little break then too, Mm -hmm. but we have a few weeks before that. Yes. Well, we would love to hear from you about your opinion on this week's topic. Yeah. What do you know about other endangered languages or do you know any? That would be interesting. Oh, man. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Let us know. You can send us a message on Facebook or send an email to languagenerdsdoearth at gmail.com. Also, send us your Lost in Translation moments via the voice recorder on our website or email us. Yes, please. Follow us on social media. We are on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. And mm-hmm. so if once a week just isn't enough for you, we'll be there. Here we are. Actually, I did write a blog recently about 10 things I learned about China after living here for 10 months. Cool. So go check that out on our website. Yeah, give that a read. It's pretty hilarious, I don't know. <laughs> I also recently made a video of a day in my Chinese life. So go check that out. Yeah. If you have a few minutes, please leave us a review. It really helps people to find the podcast and that helps us. Yes. And also tell your friends about it when you get a chance. When you're reflecting on the profoundness of this episode, 
take a minute and just go ahead and text that friend. Yeah. Who is the deepest friend that you know? <laughs> the most interesting person. <laughs> right. The most woke person besides us. <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening. Yes, thank you. And we will see you next week. Yeah. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.